All right, Joshua chapter 1. If you found that, why don't you stand? We'll read together God's Word. <clears throat> Joshua chapter 1, I'll start in verse 10 and read down to verse 18. Grass withers and the flowers fade, but the Word of our God stands forever. Let's begin verse 10. <clears throat> And Joshua commanded the officers of the people, pass through the midst of the camp and command the people, prepare your provisions for within three days you are to pass over this Jordan to go in to take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving you to possess. And to the Reubenites and the Gadites and the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, remember the word that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, The Lord your God is providing you a place of rest and will give you this land. Your wives, your little ones, and your livestock shall remain in the land that Moses gave you beyond the Jordan. But all of the men of valor that are among you, they shall pass over armed before your brothers and shall help them until the Lord gives rest to your brothers as he has to you, and they also take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving them, then you shall return to the land of your possession and shall possess it, the land that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you beyond the Jordan toward the sunrise. They answered Joshua, All that you commanded us, we will do. Wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we obeyed Moses in all things, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your commandment and disobeys your words, whatever you command him, that person shall be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. Join me as we pray. <clears throat> And so help us, Lord, in the name of Jesus, to be strong and courageous. Holy Spirit of God, I pray that you would give this passage words. May I be a mouthpiece for the Bible today. And help us now. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> As you know, sitting in a car, sitting in a car, and actually driving a car are two different things altogether. Sitting in the driver's seat of the car, even, and driving the car are two different things. At some point, for it to be considered driving, when you sit in that driver's seat, you've got to turn the motor on, put both wheels on the steering wheel, slide it into gear, and go somewhere. And truthfully, that's exactly what some of you need to do with your life. That's, that's certainly what we see going on with Joshua in this passage. Let's, let's catch ourselves up. In verses 1 through 9, you probably even see it in your Bible. The editors may have written it, written it above it. Verses 1 through 9 is the commissioning of Joshua. God commissions Joshua. He tells him, Moses, my servant is dead, and now it's time for you to lead. And so, three times he says, be strong and courageous. He had the call from God. 
But that call from God is no good if it's not followed up with some action. You know the verse in James. What did James say? Faith without works is what? It's dead. Now, truthfully, for some of you, God is lifting the fog. He's lifting the fog in your life. And he's calling you to respond. Because the people of God are people of action. If you've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus, you've been purchased by the blood of of Jesus at the cross of Christ, when you put your faith in what Jesus did for you at the cross, God purchased you as his child. He did not purchase you for you to live in a fog. He did so for you to become his agent and ambassador and disciple and disciple maker and mom or dad or man or woman or child to serve him. And be a person of action. What does it look like? What does right? We need to be careful as Christians. Sometimes we feel like we need to jump out and do something. And that's true, we do, but we want to do the right things. What does right action look like? I think you find it in this passage. We'll start right here. Number one, right action, number one, means immediate, immediate obedience. You see it right there in the beginning of the passage in verse 10. Um, Let's back up a little bit. You remember last week in verse 7, God told Joshua what to do. <clears throat> then you can see it right up the page in verse 9. God says to Joshua, have I not commanded you? Then you get to verse 10. And in verse 10, we find out that Joshua immediately obeyed the command of God. Let me read it to you, verse 10. And Joshua commanded the, official, the officers of the people. So God commanded Joshua. Joshua then did what he was told to do. Joshua not only complied, and I want you to see this, Joshua not only complied with God's order, he did so promptly. Once he understood what it was, he did it. He did so promptly, he did it quickly, he did it without excuses, he did it without equivocation, he didn't say, yes, I will, but. He didn't procrastinate. Procrastination. Procrastination is nothing more than a delivery man for disobedience. That is all procrastination is. Procrastination is the car you ride on on the destination of disobedience. What did A.W. Pink, anytime you see a book by A.W. Pink, he lived about 100 years ago, go ahead and get it and read it. A.W. Pink says that the readiness, the readiness or the tardiness of our obedience is a good indicator of the state of our hearts. That's what James, the brother of Jesus, the book of James, so James says in James chapter 4, verse 17, James says, whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it for him, it is sin. So let me ask you a couple of questions um, as we just think through immediate obedience. What does it look like for you to, to 
to sense God prompting you to know what the right thing to do and pause. That's not the right thing. The right thing to do and then do it. Here's a couple of questions. What relationship do you know that is damaged? What relationship do you need to repair? Get in your mind, do you know someone that the relationship needs reparation? What relationship do you need to repair? What habit that is is drawing you away from God or is a distraction to your life or you're forward moving as a Christian, what habit do you need to quit? What apology do you need to offer to somebody? Even if you're not convinced you were wrong, that person feels wronged by you, what apology do you need to offer in the name of Jesus? Maybe you've slipped into some spiritual, la- some spiritual laziness. Let me ask you this. What discipline do you need to take up or pick back up? What, what sin? Here's a question. What sin do you need to abandon? You've been flirting with that sin. You've been sort of secretly nurturing that sin. And you know that it's wrong. And, and God is calling you to immediate obedience. What sin do you need to abandon? Maybe you've been coasting as a Christian. What what ministry do you need to start or to start giving to? And for those of you that are here or maybe watching online, for those of you that are not sure whether or not you're actually a Christian, the the writer of Hebrews says it like this. "Today Today if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. The gospel, do you believe the gospel that God is holy and that you are a sinner separated from God and that God loved the world so much that he gave his only son Jesus who died on the cross in the place of sinners. He took all the punishment for all the sinners that will ever be saved and now the spirit moves you to believe that. It takes repentance and faith in that. Do you trust him? You see, the people of God are people of action. And that means immediate obedience. But that's not all it means, is it? Let's go to the passage. You'll see that we saw that in verse 10. What do we notice in verse 11? It's not just immediate obedience. Number two, there needs to be some clear intentionality. Clear intentionality. Uh, you'll, You'll see that when you read verse 11. When you read verse 11, you hear what Joshua says to the people. Let me show it to you, verse 11. Joshua says, pass through the midst of the camp and command the people, prepare your provisions for within three days you are to pass over this Jordan to go in, take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving you to possess. What is is Joshua saying? Joshua is saying, okay, everybody, you've been in the wilderness 40 years. You got to the edge. Y'all were such bad people. You made Moses sin. His sin made it so he couldn't get in. Moses is dead. And now it's time to cross the Jordan River into the promised land. And verse 11, he says, you need to get ready. I mean, you see it. Get ready because you're going to take possession. In this passage, there is we don't, we don't do this as Christians when it comes to worship and 
walking with Jesus. In this passage, there is planning, there's thinking through, there's prioritizing things, the things of the Lord. There is this real intentionality. And there in verse 11, Joshua speaks to the leaders and he lays out a plan. It really is sort of a divine chain of command. God spoke to Joshua. Joshua commanded the leaders. The leaders would command the people. Now, I want you to also, I want you to also see how the combination I kept looking at verse 11. There's this combination of God's absolute sovereignty and man's genuine responsibility. You'll see it. There's the absolute, complete control of God. He's in control of all things. And then there's this real call for man's responsibility. Go with me. Uh, go with me to the end of verse 11. Look down, verse 11. See down at the very end of verse 11. And hear the sentence. It's the... It's the land that the Lord your God is giving you. So God is giving the people of Israel the land. How can he give it? Because he owns it. He created it. It's his prerogative. He is God. He is in absolute control of all things. And he gives what he wants to whomever he wants, whenever he wants to do it. And this is what he says. I'm giving you this land that is complete, absolute Sovereignty. It's like salvation. It's, it's our understanding of grace. We understand that when we are saved by God at the cross, we understand that it is an absolute gift of absolute grace. God does it. But that's not all that's involved. When you look at verse 11, what you find is the people had some very real clear responsibility. Look at it with me right there in the middle of verse 11. Go with me to the, to the middle there. And this is what the command is. <clears throat> you are to pass through this Jordan. You've got to go through it, cross the river. It's at flood stage. Pass through this Jordan. You go into the land and take possession of the land, which is going to mean battles, fighting, so, so in other words, what you have here in verse 11, God is doing it. It's all grace. God is giving. But you've got to receive it. I mean, that, that's how salvation works. Isn't that, what the, isn't, that what the, isn't that what Paul told the church at Philippi? That you are to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling certainly it's a gift of god but it, it includes fighting the good fight of faith it includes striving toward the upward call of christ jesus so with that in mind i'd like to ask you a couple of questions like i did in the first point i won't do this with every point but it seemed appropriate here in this first point here's a couple of questions Here's the first one, number one, are you, are you trusting, are you trusting grace? Are you trusting grace that you are completely and forevermore 
saved by the grace of God found at the cross of Jesus. Is your understanding of the cross big enough to forgive all of your sins, to cleanse you completely, to make you upright and, and covered in the righteousness of Jesus before God? Are you trusting grace? Trusting grace. Now I'd like to take that coin and flip it over and ask you the question on the other side of the coin. Are you actually trying hard in your own spiritual disciplines, just as a Christian, are you giving yourself full-heartedly to what it means to actually be a Christian? Or are you just sort of casually floating down the lazy river of being an American Christian? I'm asking you to get out of that and, and, and put some of what you believe into action to the disciplines. Here's one way uh, you can gauge it. Have you read the Bible through? Are you reading the Bible through now? Have you been in every book of the Bible? If I were to take your Bible, would I see where you've been through it? Are you opening the Bible and hearing from God on a daily basis? Have you prayed with a friend? Have you actually sat down and, beside a friend or on the phone and prayed with that friend or with your spouse? Would your spouse consider you a person of prayer? Does your child know? Have you ever heard you articulate a prayer for her? Here's a question. Have you actually verbalized, articulated? Have, have you articulated the gospel to another human being? Have you actually been able to talk about the gospel and, and explain it to someone else or just verbalize it and preach the gospel to yourself. You, you understand that the people of, of God are not a static people. The people of God are people of action. That means immediate obedience, like you find in verse 10. It means clear intentionality, like you see in verse 11. I'm going to show you what else it means. You'll see it in a longer passage in verses 12, 13, 14, and 15. I think that uh, God's people are called to sacrificial unity. Sacrificial unity. Ephesians 2 says that, that, that God has brought two different kinds of people, Jews and Gentiles, together. He's broken down the wall of hostility, and out of the two people, He's created one new man out of the two. He's made us unified in Christ. Now, how does that apply to this? Well, if you look at verse 12, 13, 14, and 15, this passage is a little longer, and um, it requires some backstory. So let me read it, and then come back and give a little bit of the backstory. <clears throat> Let's start in verse 12. Joshua speaks to the Reubenites. This is what he says. To the Reubenites and the Gedites, the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, Remember the word that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying... The Lord your God is providing you a place of rest. He will give you this land. Your wives and your little ones and your livestock shall remain in the land that Moses gave you beyond the Jordan. But all the men of valor among you shall pass over armed before your brothers and shall help them until the Lord gives rest to your brothers as he has to you. And they also take possession of the land the Lord your God is giving them. Then you shall return to the land of your possession and possess it that the land that Moses, the servant, the Lord, servant of the Lord, gave you beyond the Jordan, beyond the sunrise. Okay. 
This takes us back a few years to the book of Numbers. Numbers chapter 32, you can go read the story later if you like, gives you the full backstory. But in years prior, when these two tribes, the Gedites and the Reubenites, they'd been in the wilderness 40, 40 years with everybody. Moses had led them right up to the edge of the promised land. <clears throat> and the Gedites and the Reubenites in the, on this side of the Jordan, on the wrong side of the Jordan, they decided that where they were looked really good to them. Livestock were happy. Their wives were happy. Their children were happy. And so they asked Moses, look, Moses, can we stay on this side of the river? We don't want to go over there. Things are actually working, working really well here. You go back and read it in Numbers 32. Moses didn't like that one bit. And first he accused them of, of treason, and then they explained, no, we'll, we'll help. And so Moses laid out the condition for them and said, okay, you can stay on this side of the Jordan, but when the time comes, you've got to come help. And he gave them that, all of that in, in Numbers 32. And so here's what Joshua says. Now don't forget, you see in verse 13, remember what your obligation is. That when we go over into the promised land, you've got to leave this pretty land you've got. You've got to come help till we get all of it done. And then you can go back. That is sacrificial responsibility to the people of God. Basically, Moses told the Reubenites and the Gadites, you can stay on the wrong side of the river if you want, but first you've got to come help your brothers, get them settled. That would... That would mean sacrifice, it would mean humility, it would be costly, but it would honor God. Now look, unity in the church is an excellent thing. This is part of even what Jesus prayed for his disciples, that they would be one just as he and the Father are one. But I want to be careful here and say a couple of words about unity because sometimes if we're not careful, Christian people, because the Christian impulse is to get along with people, to smooth things over, to be reconciled to people, to tolerate, all of those are good qualities. But if you make unity the supreme goal in a church then somewhere along the way you will be willing to compromise other things to meet the supreme goal. I found it helpful, I found it helpful to, um, to talk about unity using three D's. Three D's. We, we can't be unified at all cost because if you say that, then you end up throwing out the cross. Three D's. What are we unified around? The first D is doctrine. We must be unified around doctrine. We must be unified around the fundamental doctrines of the faith. And more specifically, um, I, I think it starts with a, a determination to be absolutely submissive to the inerrancy and the sufficiency of Scripture. I think this means that that you will put yourself under the authority of the Bible regardless 
of how difficult and out of step with the times this is going to make us look. Now, if you, if you decide, okay, you know what, I'm, where I'm going to be is somewhere in the middle between what is theologically liberal and theologically conservative, I'm just going to be here in the middle. What happens is that river you're in the middle of, it keeps shifting. And if, if you try to stay in the middle, you'll shift along with it. And you find out that you've moved. So instead, what do we do? We, we anchor ourselves to the authority, inerrancy, and the sufficiency of the Bible. But if you do... it's going to end up costing. Look, I don't think we should die on every hill. I don't like people who want to pick an argument over everything. But there are some hills that are worth dying on. And as the culture around us continues to devolve into this, this, this moral and spiritual and, and sexual anarchy... It's going to mean that you and I anchor ourselves. It's going to be increasingly vital that we are united and clear on what it is the Bible actually teaches, and we do that without exception. Doctrine, we are united on doctrine. I think we should be united on around devotion. And that's what you see here. What, what I mean is this... I think there should be this clear um, and this clear and costly impulse to actually put other people first, to work hard to put others first, to, to actually turn the other cheek when you're slapped on one cheek, to, to go the extra mile, to do unto others. And the more you turn, your attention and your ministry to helping others, the less you will actually collapse inwards on your own hurt. I mean, even in this passage, what, what Joshua is calling the Reubenites and the Gadites to do is to leave the comfort of their homes and join the struggle with their brothers in the Lord. The church of Jesus Christ could actually use a whole lot more of this right here. The church of Jesus Christ could actually use the sort of Sermon on the Mount kind of cross-centered love for one another that does not compromise truth, but also does not forget love, doctrine, and devotion. I'll give you a third D that we should be unified around, and that is direction. Direction. Maybe... Maybe a better word for it is, um, is mission. And when you read verses 12, 13, 14, and 15, if, if you read it, what you find out is that Joshua laid out the mission clearly. The mission is, we're going to the promised land. And in verse 15, he says, I need you to come and help to conquer the promised land until God gives rest. You see that in verse 13, verse 15, that word rest it's the first time it's introduced as part of the goal. It is a theological term that will continue to grow throughout the Old Testament into the New Testament. That uh, rest, it rest is, 
is the goal of the created order. Rest is celebrated by Israel in the Sabbath. Rest is pointing to God redeeming Israel out of Egypt. Rest, in Hebrews chapter 4, we find out that it's fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Now, now here at Hickory Grove, we can't forget our threefold mission to exalt Christ. That's why we gather and worship. Exalt Christ. Make disciples, that's why we believe in missions, vacation Bible school, evangelism, and passing the torch so that the generation behind us coming up picks it up and is able to carry it forward. We are people of action. God's people are people of action. That means immediate obedience. It means clear intentionality. It means sacrificial unity. I won't make this fourth one long, but I would like to point it out. I think it means godly encouragement. Godly encouragement. I'm sure where I get that. I don't want to stay long here, but it's hard to, it, um, it had to be encouraging to Joshua, who's the new leader, when the people responded like they did. So get the picture. Verses 11 through 15, Joshua's talking to the people, especially the Gadites and the Reubenites, asking them to do something that's really going to be costly. He gives them, he lays out the plan, <clears throat> gives the commands. Now look how the people answered in verse 16 and 17. You see it? They answered Joshua. This is what they said. All that you've commanded us, we'll do it wherever you send us. We will go. Just as we obeyed your predecessor Moses, we will obey you. May the Lord your God be with you just as he was with Moses. How encouraging was that? To, how encouraging was that to Joshua? This new leader on the scene, he don't know how it's going to go. Moses couldn't get him across the river. Now it's his job to do it. And if Moses, the servant of the Lord, couldn't do it, how could he, who is the servant of Moses? It was really encouraging, had to be, for those people to say what they did. But you know what you can't do? You can't put your hopes in what people tell you. The same people, Gadites and the Reubenites, they say, all right, we're with you, Joshua. We're with you. We'll do it. You are great. What they say is true, that the Lord is with you. They even say down in verse 18, they repeated what God said to Joshua earlier. Be strong and courageous. They repeated everything that was right. They had right doctrine. They might have even had good intentionality. Maybe they intended to do well. And it had to be good for his soul. I mean, it's good to hear good things like that. It's good to have encouraging words and say encouraging words. And, and our souls are, are ministered to by that. But Joshua couldn't rely on those people because those people are going to let him down. Read the rest of the story. These are the very people, the Gedites and the Reubenites, these very people will be the first of God's people to go off into outright rebellion. You've had it happen. If you've been alive very long, you've had a friend you thought was a Christian friend do you say the right things, but actually do you completely terrible. You can't put your trust in someone. You put your trust in God. You, you may have had it even closer to home. It may have been a spouse or, or if you've, if your children have been alive long enough and they get up, it might be a child where, where you thought they're saying the right thing, the right things. 
like the Gadites and the Reubenites are gone. You don't put your trust and hope in there. You put your trust in the Lord. See, Joshua had God's truth that the Lord would be with him, that he, he was able to be strong and courageous. I'd like to add one more thing here and, and insert the gospel here at the end. I think it's important to hear that as people of God, we have real conviction, real conviction. Let me show it to you in verse 18. It's interesting that the people, they understood immediate justice. The Gadites and the Reubenites, they heard what Joshua said, and in verse 18, they said to him, Okay, whoever rebels against your commandment, disobeys your words, whatever you commanded him, whoever does that, they shall be put to death. Now, Joshua's commandment was God's commandment. In other words, what Joshua said in verses 10 through 18, he got from God who said it in verses 1 through 9. And the people understand that there is immediate justice. I mean, we're going to read Joshua. We're going to see a whole lot of killing in Joshua. A whole lot of wiping people out. Thankfully, there's not any of that on Mother's Day. I'm glad of that. But this verse right here, it's good for us to be reminded. <clears throat> it serves as a reminder that we should be so thankful for the gospel of Jesus. Adam and Eve fell into sin, and God says, you will surely die. Sin deserves immediate death, punishment. I mean, this is how, this is what this is what Paul told the church at Rome. Paul said, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All. Sinful nature has affected everyone. There is an absolute problem that has no real solution, and every human being has this problem. He'll go on to say that the wages of that sin is death. What you earn by the sin you commit or think is you should be killed. But, here's the gospel. It takes a turn up. The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. There is a God-given solution to the human condition, and that is Jesus. You see, what Paul says is that God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were still in sin, Christ died for us. So you have love and grace at the cross. He's solving the problem. And, and here's the hinge. If you'll confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God has actually raised Him from the dead, the promise in Romans is you'll be saved. You see, everyone, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You can trust Him. And the promise is that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Wrath is gone, forgiveness is here, and you are a child of God. If you're a child of God, the people of God are people of action. That means when you know the right thing to do, it is immediate obedience. That means with your life there is, there is clear intentionality. 
That means that you respond to and give godly encouragement, that you press toward unity. There's sacrificial unity. You, you don't sacrifice truth, but you wouldn't sacrifice a lot. You have real conviction that those without Christ die and go to hell, but those in Jesus are saved by God's grace. We give thanks to the Lord because that's who we are. Would you join me as we pray together? With your heads bowed this morning, go to the Lord in a time of commitment and prayer. Throughout this sermon, I offered several questions. I hope you'll reflect on those. And in your own life, take the right steps by God's grace to be, be obedient and honor the Lord. For some of you, it may be you, you've heard this, and for the first time, the Spirit of God has convicted your heart, and, and, and that in your heart, you know that you should give your life to Christ. Do not harden your heart. Today we'll, we'll close by singing, and as we do, I hope that's a time where you can sing to the Lord. And afterwards, our pastors will be around in the lobby or down here in the front, and you want to talk about what it means to give your life to Jesus, that would be a really good time to do that. Father, thank you for the good grace we have in Christ. Thank you for the reality of the gospel. And I pray that you find us faithful. I pray that you would draw people to yourself. In Jesus' name, amen.